There's this old saying that we have um, one mouth and two ears, so we should listen twice as much as we talk. So a part of trust is that is building those relationships, creating space, and being a good listener is really important. And it's hard for me. I'm busy like you are, Sue. And sometimes people are just kind of, you know, telling their story. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got 14 things to do. But it's an investment in that relationship. Listen a little bit and then and ask that question. How did you feel? Are you okay with that? You know, those kinds of questions with adjectives say that I really care about your experience, not just what we're doing. Again, this is the, the sort of feeling state that, again, I only had to learn through running experiments. It's not natural for me to do this. So you hack into the system, hack into this caring system by using adjectives and listening. Welcome, trust builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is Lead with Trust where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all-time high. Trusted businesses must have trusted leaders and your team Your customers and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I am very excited about this episode today. For many years, uh, well over a decade, I have admired the work of Paul Zak who is a professor at a couple universities. He has a lab at Claremont Graduate University and also works at the Loma Linda University Medical Center. And he is a scientist, a pretty prolific author, does a lot of public speaking, and recently founded Immersion Neuroscience. My favorite book he wrote is The Trust Factor. The subtitle is The Science of Creating High-Performance Companies. And I found, came upon this book and his research quite a few years ago, and I loved the idea that they were using neuroscience to really study the brain and what happens or what develops trust in your brain. And they found that it is oxytocin. And so I just thought it was so fascinating. And since then, he's done many, many other things. He has another book that was uh, called The Moral Molecule. And it was about the source of love and prosperity. So in our interview today, I think you're going to just love learning more about how your brain works and how all of our brains work. We are in fact, animals with animalistic brains that function that way. And I think that the study with oxytocin, that really sets you up so that you have the sense of well-being so that you can be open. You have that psychological safety is really what you're trying to get to as a trusted leader in your business. That is what allows people to share their brilliance and to share their problems and to show you what is possible 
and what is a problem. And without that, you're really operating without the collective wisdom of your whole organization. So I can't wait to for you to learn more. And Paul also in his new company, Immersion, they've actually taken the technology that exists in the watch you're probably wearing. It's like an iWatch or one of the other electronic watches. And they can now measure the level of psychological safety that exists in your employees or in yourself as you do go through your workday and see what kind of gets you into flow and what are the things where maybe you feel more stressed. Very exciting things. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I just loved making it. So let's listen in. Welcome to Lead with Trust. And today I'm so excited to have someone that I have sort of stalked for quite a few years. Paul Zach is someone whose work I completely admire and am intrigued by. And I think you will be too. So I can't wait to dive in and learn a lot more. So welcome, Paul. Thank you so much, Sue. Now, you set the bar so high. We really have set expectations, so we better fulfill them. We better, huh? Well, I think I know you will. Uh, I'll do my best to keep up. So I ask every guest this question. uh, What group did you hang out with in high school? Well, that's a good question. I went to two high schools. So I think the first group uh, was jocks. And then the second group was um, the disaffected So uh, second high school was not a very good high school and sort of started doing stuff on my own. And I think that was not bad. That's my personality. I tend to be a bit of a loner and introvert, but I'm, as you may have figured out from reading some of my work, I'm a Martian. So I don't really understand the human. So being outside allows me to uh, run experiments, to observe them and to ask uh, questions that healthy, normal humans wouldn't ask. That is so interesting. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting how we we plant those seeds early on. And so that kind of leads me to the question, help us understand what neuroeconomics is. Right. So I know, Sue, that you have never made a bad decision in your life, but your brother-in-law who was buying investment real estate in 2007, when everybody knew there was a real estate bubble, like, what's the deal with that? So How do we understand why people make poor decisions when the sort of standard models in economics are, you're super smart, you got lots of information, you're optimizing something. And so what we started doing around 20 years ago is measuring brain activity while people made decisions in a very humble attempt to ask, why in the same circumstance do you order vanilla ice cream and I order uh, chocolate? Uh, that's kind of a trivial question, but you know, why do you uh, cooperate in some setting and, and I don't, I decide to, to be selfish. So we really looked at, at uh, the underlying neuroscience of social behaviors and that you know, led pretty quickly into trust, which was a real mystery from a biological perspective in economics and really in psychology as well. Why would we ever trust a stranger And yet we do it every day, right? We're walking in the street, we're getting on airplanes, we're going to restaurants. Restaurant, who knows who cooks your food? I mean, there could be some crazy people out there. And we're like, ah, it's fine. So, you know, once you find this interesting question, then you really want to delve into it. So I spent, you know, better part of two decades, because I'm slow, I work slow, you know, kind of working on 
why do we ever trust strangers? What are the costs and benefits? Who uh, does them? And in particular, I'm interested in neurologic mechanisms because those mechanisms uh, tell me what promotes or inhibits them. And we get a much richer understanding than just either observing people or what we started with is just asking them, well, why, you know, we've done an experiment, why'd you do this? And the, the most common answer was, I don't know. But you can't build much of a theory on I don't know, right? So you have to go a little deeper. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, the study of trust is really something I've been doing for 40 years, but through working with lots and lots of different teams and organizations and people. So, and how do you make it predictable? Yeah. Yeah. And let's be clear, from a neuroscience perspective, people are highly variable, right? So again, the underlying uh, theology and economics is that your preferences are stable. But this completely counters the way the brain works. The brain is an adaptive organ working at millisecond frequency. So we would expect people to be highly variable. And so I think for listeners, you know, if you, let's talk about people at work. If you think people at work are going to be the same every day, no way, right? Because they're tired, they're hungry, they're, who knows, right? So our brains live in this soup of around 200 neurochemicals, and they're constantly adapting to try to help us adapt and thrive. And we don't know what's going on. So, you know, that person who seems cranky or unhappy today when they've always been, you know, a good colleague, doesn't mean they're a bad person. It means maybe there's some underlying change. I mean, maybe they're a bad person if they keep doing it, right? But uh, ultimately, we find is most people who are distrusting, who promise to cooperate and do not, most of those people, 97, 98% are good people having bad days. In other words, their brains are working properly, but right now, acutely, they're having a crisis that they may not even know about that's inhibiting their ability to be good cooperative partners. I think that's so important for people to understand that uh, it's a snapshot in time. Everybody's a snapshot. You can't just say this is how someone is or how a company is because right. it's a snapshot. And it's so complex with all the different people making up the culture and the norms and the mindset of the business. So I know you, you've talked about a neurologic basis for trust and what your research on that. So tell us a little bit more about what is that? Right. So we discovered around 20 years ago that a neurochemical called oxytocin is released in people's brains when someone trusts us. So or just generally for any positive social interaction. So you hold the door for me as I enter the building and smile. My brain makes oxytocin. And what we showed that does is reduce our natural tendency to be on edge around people we don't know, or even people we do know, right? So you seem nice, you're doing nice things for me. I release oxytocin that reduces my uh, my stress response because we're maintaining this balance, right? I, I don't wanna be, I see a guy with a knife coming at me, I don't wanna be like, hey dude, let's hang out, right? That wouldn't be appropriate. So we're, we're maintaining a balance, number one. Number two, oxytocin increases our ability to understand other people's emotions. It increases empathy. So from a teamwork perspective, imagine how valuable that is for me, not only to cognitively understand, oh, Sue's working on that, so I'm working on that. The emotional component tells me why you care about something, why you're putting energy into this. And so if I understand that, I can then play off you more effectively. I can be a better team member. And then the last thing it does is that we've shown in many experiments, because of these two effects, it motivates someone whose brain has released oxytocin to work on someone else's behalf. Oh my gosh, that's interesting and useful. But again, counter to this to science, you know, 20 years and prior, which is 
you're a selfish bastard and you're just in it for yourself. So again, I can help you and that may also help me, nothing wrong with that. But uh, when the brain makes oxytocin or we've done studies where we take synthetic oxytocin and shoot it into your brain, people will put substantially more effort into serving others, team members, strangers, customers, than uh, they would absent that signal. So one way to think about oxytocin is a signal that says you're safe or you're like a family member. So think of oxytocin sort of melting the self-other divide. So if you're part of my family or part of my close social group, yeah, I'm gonna put effort in to help you. So it tells us that it's incumbent on us as potentially good colleagues and social partners to send out those signals that say, look, I'm here, I'm safe. I'm uh, familiar. I'm going to be part of a team that's going to help you. And so uh, someone's going to initiate this process. And so that's when your work becomes so important, which is how do we create the preconditions where this very strong natural tendency to trust each other can actually blossom as opposed to be inhibited. Yeah, it becomes the norm. Uh, As you were talking earlier, it made me think about in this society now with a concept like Uber and Lyft. Mm. You know, my mother, my grandmother would have said, never get in a car with a stranger who's going to be driving you around. And yet we trust that it will be okay. And so, you know, societal norms of what's safe also seems to be changing. And and, uh, that's so interesting, too. So it's not just at, at a business level, but society. Uh, Here's a business that bases trust on strangers. I would say we've always had that, right? So you think of small-scale societies. I've done a lot of field work in rainforests and other places. You know, a lot of trust, a lot of in-group trust. So that, so I think this is an important takeaway. That Uber driver, because he or she is in your app and you're in their app, you just became an in-group. We talk about it being easier to trust someone when you have a close social distance, That could be because we work in the same place or we live in the same city, Uh, but people who are different than us, it's harder for us to understand or forecast what they're going to do. Um, But the app is beautiful, right? It's got reputation. So it says, oh, actually, this person is in your group. It's fine to get in his or her car. And you're right. It is a kind of an interesting logical leap. But, you know, I mean, the the problems in Ubers are quite rare, but we do it all the time, right? And we just, you know, almost... You know, living in big cities, you're just walking down the street. So again, if we think of our closest genetic relatives, chimpanzees, they never, ever walk down and see strange chimpanzees with with one exception and don't engage in some ruthless battle, right? So we just like, ah, it's fun fun living in New York. It's fun walking around Chicago, you know, most of the time in most places, right? So there are places in New York and Chicago you probably shouldn't go after midnight, but, you know, you can walk around. So I spent a lot, I have an appointment in Denmark. And so I spent a lot of time in Denmark and uh, near my apartment, there's a forest. And I walk in the forest pre-sunrise because I get up early and I see people walk on their dog and they say hi to me, you know? And so you're right, that culture is important where Denmark is such a small country. It's so, uh, everyone's so similar. They're all inbred over many generations. And they, you know, basically they look like me. And so, yeah, like I don't, and I'm a big, I'm six foot four, 205 pounds. Like I'm a big guy old ladies, young women, no one really freaks out. They're like, oh, yeah, whatever, there's a dude. Because there's that, there's that culture of, it's one of the highest trust company, countries in the world, this culture of connection and community that is the precursor to trust. 
It's so interesting to me. I, I see that all the time in organizations and certainly families as well, uh, like the level of trust that they have even within their own tribe <laughs> varies widely. So in, in your research, you found that trust improves organizational performance. That's very similar to what our research has shown too. So help us understand why this is the case. Why does this happen? A great question. So anytime there are humans together, there will be some friction, right? Even with your beloved family members, and you know, it's just normal, right? Because people have bad days or whatever. So one way to think about trust is as a lubricant. It reduces the frictions between people. Um, so if I'm in a high trust relationship with you, and once in a while you, I don't know, don't follow through on a project you're supposed to get to me or whatever, I'm like, okay, well, Stu's having a bad day. I don't say, oh, I'm going to get Stu fired. She's awful. So again, it allows teams to more effectively work with each other and to do so with a high energy, high passion. So we look at outcomes of people who work in high trust organizations versus low trust organizations. We certainly see higher job satisfaction, greater job retention, less chronic stress, fewer sick days, uh, greater satisfaction with their lives overall, but also see a lot of uh, positive indicators of organizational performance, higher stock values, uh, continued uh, profit growth, on and on and on. So it's really an effective way and a dimension, as you know, to really improve performance, which uh, puts the human at the center of value creation. So I think all this work we're talking about is about empowering individuals small teams and entire organizations to really embrace their humanity, to be social creatures and work effectively together. And I think as a sort of cap off that, that long discussion, you know, again, there's this uh, kind of feeling, again, it's almost a theology in economics that uh, work sucks. It's, it's so bad to work that we have to pay you and then monitor you because you're a lazy jerk and you're just not gonna do any work. And again, that's very old from Adam Smith. But actually, if you look at the neuroscience and even the psychology, a lot of us get more satisfaction from working than we do from recreation. Because at work, we have goals and we're reaching those goals and we're working with cool people and solving hard problems. Where if I'm out horseback riding, it was fun, but you know, I didn't I didn't reach any real goals. So I think from a leadership perspective, it's so important to embrace that humanity that we're group creatures, we like to be in teams, and if you can help that team build trust and then give them some direction on where they're going and why it's important and the why is important. We can talk about that in a minute, but that why the people, what we're doing and why it's important, that's the recipe for high performance. It's so interesting. I was watching a show this weekend and it was showing a Jane Goodall working with chimpanzees and how there would be a group of chimpanzees and they all work together as a family, a group. And then when the group would get too large, it would split into two groups. And then those groups would attack each other to kill off the males. And then they'd be one group again. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's so interesting. So in large companies, we have this siloing effect that happens. And then those silos fight against each other. And then the company can no longer have a clear direction because the silos end up fighting with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, you've got to build trust between the silos. Have you, have you done any work on that or work towards any thoughts on that? I haven't, but a, a number of groups have, and, and a lot of really well-managed companies 
will break apart teams when they get too big, just like you suggested. So WR Gore makes Gore-Tex and lots of chemicals. They will start a new office if you get to 250 people. Enterprise rent a car. Uh, when they get to be about 25 people in an office, that's too many to really manage those relationships. They split off and start a new office. So I think we do have a limit on how many people we can really sustain relationships with. And it is, it is even though I said it's natural for people to work in groups, there's kind of a, an optimal group size. So there's some research suggesting that around for an organizational team, around 15 is about as big as you want to get. So once I have 15 people in a group, once they get beyond that, it begins to be hard to manage. So you really want to separate two groups. But you're right. We don't want to have intergroup competition. So even uh, Jack Welsh, who just passed away, said before he died that management 2.0 is all about trust. And the reason for that is that you want to have in-group cooperation and out-group competition. I do want that that competitor to my company to make me work harder because you know, it's otherwise I'll just kind of cruise. It's, you know, think everything's easy, then I don't have to try so hard. But if I got someone gunning for my clients or gunning for <laughs> as part of my market, that's a great motivator. So I think one of the um, surprising things about the neuroscience, maybe to casual listeners, is that we don't want people to be happy at work, right? What I want to do is have you be highly focused. So almost everything in biology is a sort of inverted U-curve. So I want you to have some competition. I want you to feel like you've got to do this thing and do it really well, put a lot of uh, resources into it, uh, emotional resources, cognitive resources, bring my social group together at work, my team to accomplish these goals. So the reason I mentioned Jack Welch is because he really completely gave up on this rank and yank thing. I don't want to pit teams against each other. It's really about building trust. So again, I don't want you just to be sitting around doing, again, this is your brother-in-law who's buying the investment real estate. If you got nothing to do, then you know, you, you're just not productive. You don't feel good about yourself. You don't perform well. But I also don't want to stress you out so much that you just can't perform at all. So indicators of that are certainly irritability, um, not sleeping well. So even things like investment banking and, and uh, you know, uh, junior associates at law firms, they used to work 100 hours a week. That's all gone, first of all. The, the war for talent is over. Talent has won a long time ago. So these high performers are rare. Treat them well. Give them a chance to grow professionally, personally, even spiritually. Give them a chance to have an amazing experience at your organization. And they'll stay there for a long time and be really productive and actually help, as you mentioned, change that culture. But if you're going to beat the crap out of them, like, well, two thirsty people are not going to make it. I mean, Google tried this years ago and it stopped, right? They tried the yank, rank and yank. Like, it's so hard to get into Google and they work you hard at Google. I mean, you probably know these people, but this is not the worker's paradise. So people work really hard, but they're also rewarded really well uh, monetarily and, and, and in other ways. Um, but yeah, once you're in, why would I fire the bottom 20%? That makes no sense at all. Maybe they're missing something that helps them be more productive or a better team member. But yeah, I think, you know, understanding that humans need connection. Oh, like return to work. So a lot of the, the work I've been doing recently has been with corporations on re, uh, helping design return to work. So I mentioned you were in your office before we started recording. And yeah, the office can really be a social hub. And if we think of that social hub, who do I want to be around? People I trust, right? People that I like being around, people that make me better as an employee or better as a person. So we can create that. So I'll take a breath, but there's ways to actually create that physically, emotionally, from a leadership perspective. Think about what people really need. I hope you're enjoying the show. 
Sorry to interrupt, but if you're looking to improve any area of your life, one of the first things you'll want to do is to figure out where you are today and where the gaps are, and then really get clear on where you want to go. Visionary leaders need clarity, like human beings need oxygen. It's essential. That's why my team and I put together a great starting point for you on your trusted leader journey. It's called the Trusted Leader Profile, and it will allow you to take charge of the atmosphere in your business by helping you understand your trusted leader style and how you can elevate the level of trust in your business. With understanding, you can make better choices and grow the level of trust and your results. For being a listener to the show, it's 100% complimentary for you to access the profile. All you have to do is go to www.sudico.com slash profile. And Sudico is S-U-D-Y-C-O. Again, that's www.sudico.com slash profile. I really believe that the profile will help you understand the norms you bring to your business and unlock the next level of leadership for you. And I really have seen and believe, I I completely trust in the fact that there's a collective wisdom in a team that's focused and there's nothing else like it. And I think that's so attractive when you can create that in your organization, in your company. And and diverse teams actually innovate at a higher rate. So on every level, background, besides, you know, easy stuff like skin color, color or gender. So I really think it's building those diverse teams. But now the, the rubber hits the road, which is how do we create these teams so that they feel comfortable trusting each other? And in particular, as we all focus on DEI now, so the precursor to trust is really psychological safety. So we've got to create a space where people feel comfortable with each other. So it's so much easier to do that in the office where I can start to you all, hey, Sue, how was your weekend? What's going on? Right. We, we sort of do that on, on these video conferences, but not as effectively as those random bumping into each other. So uh, at a lot of organizations now, you know, you have couches, you have common areas, you have Wi-Fi. And so you can move around, you can see people. And that's really important. And, and that's a, a very small change that a lot of organizations can do, which is get people out of these little cubicles. Humans are social creatures. We're not cubicle creatures. Actually, we have some, some uh, research we've done recently showing that people actually perform better shed the stress of work faster or more productive in open workspaces than in closed workspaces. So um, put people in their natural setting, let them interact, and they'll hopefully build bonds with each other, generally build bonds with each other. If they don't, buy them lunch, have pizza Friday, have, you know, buy beer. I mean, you know, I think the in my academic lab, you know, the best budget, which I pay personally, is the beer budget for the graduate students and postdocs. Right. Yeah. They're going to talk about girls or boys and movies. And then they're going to do what? Talk about work. Oh, you're working on that project with machine learning. I heard about that. What program are you using? Because we get a lot of satisfaction from work. So, you know, I really think there is a place for that socialization because that is what builds the, the connections that trust is based on. Do you have any thoughts about how to hack or achievement, how to achieve that when we're in a virtual world, because I know a lot of the companies that I'm working with, you know, they are in Japan and they're in Switzerland and they're in Chicago and they're 
all over and they're not together ever. I love that you said hacks. So um, yeah, I'm a big believer in, in once you know these brain systems, hacking them. So the first is just to have uh, time to get together. So it could be 15 minutes before the meeting starts. Let's hang out and get to know each other a little bit and show some pictures. And vulnerability is a great way to show that you trust somebody. So I worked with a company in South America in which people um, brought in for a first meeting, brought in their baby pictures. Okay, that's that's kind of weird, right? Because that's pretty vulnerable, you know? Uh, and so then you talk about, okay, where this is where I grew up. Yeah, this picture's like, you know, I maybe I don't look at it, but I'm 70 years old. Look how old this is. Black and white picture of me when I was a little baby or something, right? So we can have these kinds of discussions. So the second one is a, a great hack is the use of adjectives. So when I greet you, I could say, hey, Sue, how's it going? I'm good, how are you? Or I can put in an adjective. Hey, Sue, you look happy, sad, worried, tired. Right. So now those adjectives have emotional power. And now I'm opening up an emotional channel. So from a leadership perspective, there is so much information that you can get from people by using an adjective. So my view is I want to keep the high performers performing well, being satisfied and working for me, not working for my competitor. And so by building that time for connections, I'm investing in the relationship, which has lots of payoffs. Uh, so again, even if you're a selfish leader and you just care about, uh, I don't know, your end of the year bonus, you should actually build connections. And for people who are not supernatural, like you're a super warm person too, I can tell that, but I'm a, a weird, you know, athlete, scientist with no feelings. And so, but I just fake it till I make it. So actually for, for people who are listening, if it's not natural for you to check in and see how people are feeling, just do it. And over time, actually you'll You'll do it. And then if you do it enough like me, I'm like a big, became a big movie crier now. I'm like so sensitive to social information. So I'm like, oh my God, the boy you made the connection. <laughs> I know. So, you know, if I can, if I can evolve then you know, everybody else can too. So, yeah. So I think that's a great hack is just spend time, uh, even if you're remote. And even if you're remote, I would say if you, at all possible, once a month meet in person, right? I think uh, it's important to spend the time there. And for people who are hybrid workers, which I think is going to be the you know the present and the future, you've got to be in the office sometime, right? And I think that's where leadership comes in. If the leaders in the office or leaders are in the office four or five days a week, people are going to get the message: Hey, uh, you know, Karen's in the office every day this week, and you know she's my boss. I'm going to show up, and make sure Karen sees me too, because apparently that's where the cool things are happening. So, again, from a leadership perspective. And what you don't want to do is decrease that psychological safety, decrease that connection. I mean, people get stressed out. That's okay. But no yelling, no finger pointing. So praise is really valuable. People respond to praise. So I think it's, um, you know, really praise people in public, but critique in private. Don't do the yelling in the hallway. Ah, you're, uh, just sit down and say, hey, you know what? What happened in the last project? And it didn't work out. So I think the model we're seeing that facilitates high trust and high performance is much more of a servant leader kind of model than this sort of top-down hierarchical model. A trusted model. And, leader. <laughs> yes, and exactly your stuff. And uh, and even, again, even dear Jack Welch, towards the end of his life, came to understand this, that it's really about empowering those individuals who are creating the value, not the managers who are helping them do that. It's help these people be really successful, help them grow, but also understand that people have bad days, as we said you know, in the intro. Uh, and that's okay. You're allowed to have a bad day, right? Or a couple of bad days. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because it's going to happen to everybody. Yeah. Also, and you keep talking about psychological safety, and I, I just love that because 
I know in the work that we've done, it's always uh, trying to create that atmosphere that allows for the psychological safety to occur so real meaningful communication can happen. And uh, so I know you've done a lot of work on this and have ways to figure it out. So tell us more about your work on that and maybe a little bit about immersion. Thank you. Yes. So I'm a, I'm a nerd. So, you know, I, I to me, the essence of, of what I do is measurement. Um, and so certainly there are surveys of psychological safety. But if you ask people to reveal their emotional responses, if in a survey that's being filtered through the, through the consciousness. So, and, you know, people may not feel comfortable, uh, particularly again, as we have more uh, diverse workplaces, uh, if I'm the only brown person or foreign person, am I going to say on a survey, even if it's anonymous, oh, no, I don't feel like these people accept me. So, yeah, so we, we've developed uh, software. Uh, Immersion is my uh, software platform that has democratized neuroscience. So it allows us, uh, or allows subscribers to measure what the brain values second by second by pulling data from a smartwatch and using cloud computing. And so we have subscribers using this in particular to help uh, do what I call neural job crafting. So what parts of your job are most immersive? So think of immersion, immersion as the neurologic uh, analogy of, of flow. So when I'm just really focused on something, I'm just in it, I'm having a great time. We have very specific brain signals that my research has uncovered, which we're immersed in this and we get a lot of value. We, we enjoy this. So something you enjoy, you just put more effort in. It's just one of those things. Um, so first of all, it's again, very empowering for the employee. What do I love at work? And if I just ask you that question, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say compared to what on a one to five scale compared to my kids, actually compared to my dog sleeping at my feet, my dog's perfect. He's never talked back to me. He's, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's just not a good question to me. So we measure neurologic, neurologic immersion, but also measure psychological safety. So think of that as bandwidth. If I'm not psychologically safe, I'm anxious around these people. I'm not comfortable and I don't have as much bandwidth to devote to being a good team member being productive for the work I need to do because I'm thinking, like, oh my God, is that person going to yell at me? What's going on? Are they looking at me funny? Right. So, you know, we want to ensure that when we get these data, we're creating comfortable workplaces. And that's where um, I think your work comes in, Sue, and, and kind of interventions to create a different physical space, to create a chance to get to know each other, to have offsites. Uh, and again, another hack here is that uh, you can supercharge connections between employees by putting a little bit of stress into the system, right? So I used to think like these uh, companies that are like, we're going to go you know, whitewater rafting or whatever. Actually, that's a great way. So if you think of, uh, you know, the military or, uh, you know, junior or the associated law firm, a lot of stress, right? You got you to jump in with both feet and that stress is very uh, bonding. So having been through something difficult together is great to do that. So again, it doesn't have to be whitewater rafting, but, you know, do, uh, I don't know, um, something where you have to help each other, uh, indoor rock climbing with, a, you're on a rope, right? So you know, no one's going to get hurt, but, you know, do something that's a little bit scary. Zip lining. Uh, I have a class I teach in high performance organizations and I decided to do a lot of field trips. So the first year I invited people to go um, skydiving with me and only two people went. So that was, enough. but then every year we started, we started doing this zip line adventure. So we, I went up in the mountains. It's optional for the students. Like, let's see what happens when we do something stressful where well, we got to help each other. So there's snow on the ground, it's up in the mountains, it's cold, you got to huddle up, you got to encourage people. And at the end of that, people are really bonded. So moderate stress, short-term moderate stress, good for performance. 
I think it's fun too, when you can build that into your projects you have at work, like you get this cohesive team and they have a challenge that may not be very easy to achieve. You certainly can't achieve it to, alone. And that's where you get these diverse teams that have different expertise and different ways of looking at different uh, different backgrounds. And so they come together and they do something extraordinary. Like I worked on a project where normally this project would have taken two to three years. And this team figured out how to do it in 90 days. You know, that bonded them for life. And in fact, afterwards, we were doing that. We were kind of doing the final looking at what we did. And we were asked for some awards and stuff. So we were writing up some stuff for for that. And the team kept saying, we got to pay this forward. We got to pay this forward. Like they're going to take this to everywhere that they go. They were so excited about it that, you know, they had created something that had never been done before. And there's so much energy in that. And, And then the other teams are going, well, how do we do that? So again, that's also a leadership challenge, right? Which is have these stretch goals, coach people towards reaching them, and then celebrate them and share the the victory when they get it. And that is very infectious. Again, as social creatures like, oh, look, this team, they're doing, they're killing it. Like, you know, hey, we want to be in that group. So that recognition is really important for humans. And again, we we sort of feel like you're an adult, uh, you know, why do you need to be praised for doing your job? But these people are putting in extraordinary effort and they should be recognized for that. But again, that's where trust comes back. I'm sure there was some junior person on the team you just talked about who made some kind of weird suggestion and the old people never thought of it. Like, oh yeah, gosh, I never thought of that. So, you know, that outsider, that young person, that different person is only going to feel like they can contribute if there's space for them to be listened to and not be ridiculed. Oh, that's stupid. Like, no. In my group, I always say, I value the most people who are the youngest. Give me any crazy suggestion. And nine out of 10 of those are not going to be useful because they don't know anything. But one of those occasionally like, oh, crap, that's a great idea. We who have been doing this for a long time never thought of that because we're, you know, in a box. And uh-huh. so, yeah. you know, create that space, right? And, uh, and it's hard. But, you know, I always say, I tell them. My goal in life, my very modest goal, Sue, is to be slightly less stupid over time. So I'm hoping that the people around me help me become slightly less stupid. So uh, you see something that we can improve, man, I want to hear it because I'm stupid on 14 different levels. I always tell everybody I need all the help I can get. So please help. Uh, That's a nicer way of saying what I said. (laughs) So I know you've been studying trust for a couple decades. And uh, for the listeners here, What's one thing they can do as a leader to start increasing the level of trust in their business? Only one, Sue, you're so brutal. Um, Yeah, there's this old saying that we have um, uh, one mouth and two ears. So we should listen twice as much as we talk. So a part of trust is that is building those relationships, creating space and being a good listener is really important. And it's hard for me. I'm busy like you are, Sue. And Sometimes people are just kind of, you know, telling their story and I'm like, oh my God, I got 14 things to do, but it's an investment in that relationship. And again, if you can listen and ask questions with an adjective, then it shows that you actually are listening and care about what people are saying. By the way, great relationship advice as well. So if, if you know, do this with your spouse, do this with your loved ones, listen a little bit and then, and ask that question. How did you feel? Are you okay with that? You know, those kinds of questions with adjectives 
say that I really care about your experience, not just what we're doing. Again, this is the, the sort of feeling state that, again, I only had to learn through running experiments. It's not natural for me to do this. So yeah, hack into this system, hack into this, hack into this caring system by using adjectives and listening. That's so great. I, I appreciate you more than I can say. I hope you'll come back again and, and share. I know you have a new book that'll be coming out. So maybe when that comes out, you can jump on and we can talk about that a little bit. I would love to. Thank you so much, Sue. I'm such a fan of yours. I appreciate it. I, I am your biggest cheerleader. I'm always oh, here if I can help you in any way. Thank you so much. Me too. I'm always at service to you. By the way, it's another hack I love. And every conversation with the word service. Right? What could be nicer than say, I want to be of service to you? And if you think about human connection, just our underlying biology, it's all about service. That's where our sense of accomplishment and happiness comes from. So be in the service business. So I love that you said that to me unprompted, but I'm returning it to you. Uh, we'll you. definitely stay in touch. And I would love to see you again or talk to you again. Thank you so much. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. And that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review, wherever you listen to your podcasts would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now today, if you're really curious about starting your trusted leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free trusted leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the trusted leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudyco.com and then forward slash profile, and you will get immediate access to the trusted leader profile. Once again, that is www.sudyco.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode.